Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. I'm going to stop saying what number episode it is because I honestly can't keep track. I've lost count and I suppose I could look it up, but it doesn't really matter. So it's episode 170, 80, I don't who knows. Given the timing with Elizabeth II's funeral, I thought that it would be appropriate to do an episode on the funerals of our five Tudor monarchs. But first, TudorCon. So you guys, we had TudorCon over the last weekend, and it was amazing. (laughs) So very much fun. We had talks on Tudor food, Tudor patent law, Catherine Swinford, music and madrigals, and metaphor in madrigals. And the great-grandmothers of Henry VIII, plus two days of the Renaissance Fair, a feast, a party, and so very much fun. My absolute favorite part, well, I have a couple of favorite parts. One of my favorite parts was at the very end, someone came up to me and told me that they had been really nervous to come on their own because they didn't know anyone. They decided to come anyway, and they made so many new friends and couldn't wait to come back next year, which brings me to the fact that yes, there will be a next year. If you want to see more of the fun that we had this year, if you want to participate in any way, maybe put together a speaker proposal. I'm going to have a program committee to help me figure out which talks to accept. There's also a super early bird price for 2023. It's going to be September 8th through 10th next year, September 8th through 10th, 2023. You can go to englandcast.com slash tutorcon. And so, yes, I'm already selling tickets for next year. And actually, so many people from this year already reserved their spot for next year. I've already sold close to half the available space. So if you want to reserve your spot, if you would like to plan to come next year, um, you can learn more about it. You can participate, like I said, through being on the program committee, all kinds of ways or submitting a talk yourself. So yeah, just go to englandcast.com slash tutorcon to see pictures, to see some video highlights, to uh, to learn more about it. And as we go on through the next couple of months, I'll be releasing some talks from TudorCon too, so you can hear some of the fun. But now, <laughs> Tudor funerals. 
it's appropriate considering this is coming out the week of the funeral of Her Majesty Elizabeth II. I wanted to quickly go through all of the five Tudor funerals and give you an overview of how our 16th century friends would have commemorated and celebrated the lives of their kings and queens. So, of course, first we have Henry Tudor, Henry VII, the first Tudor, who died at Richmond Palace on April 21st, 1509. He had been ill for a very long time. There's actually the stories about his mother, Margaret Beaufort, nursing him at his bedside. He had had all sorts of illnesses, including gout, tuberculosis, asthma, quimsy, which is like a really painful throat infection. He was buried at Westminster Abbey on May 11th. And here is a very early record. The body of the king was brought from Richmond and met at St. George's Bar, Southwark, by the mayor and aldermen, accompanied by a body of commoners on horseback, appropriately dressed in black. The streets were lined by members of the various companies carrying torches, the lower crafts occupying the first place. After the freemen of the cities came the strangers, Easterlings, Frenchmen, Spaniards, Venetians, Genoese, Florentines, on horseback and on foot also carrying torches. In Cornhill, the lower crafts were so marshaled that the most worshipful crafts stood next to St. Paul's. On the day following, the shrouded but uncoffined body of the king was taken from St. Paul's to Westminster. The lowest craft was placed nearest to the cathedral and the most worshipful next to Temple Bar, where the civic escort terminated. The mayor and aldermen proceeded to Westminster by water to attend mass and offering. The mayor, with his mace in his hand, made his offering. Next, after the Lord Chamberlain, those aldermen who had passed the chain offered next after the Knights of the Garter. Henry was laid to rest in a vault in the Lady Chapel. It had been designed in the Renaissance style by an Italian sculptor named Pietro Torrigiano. A random fact I read about him on Tony Rich's blog He's apparently famous for having broken Michelangelo's nose during a fight while they trained together when they were young. Elizabeth of York shares the tomb with him, his wife, and there's a black marble base decorated with medallions representing the Virgin Mary and Henry's patron saints. There's also coats of arms and cherubs and seated angels and carvings, all of that. The heads of the effigies carried at their funeral still survive in the Abbey collection. Henry's is actually very famous. If you look up the images, I'll stick some in the show notes. It looks very, very lifelike and probably done from a death mask. The bodies of the funeral effigies were actually damaged during World War II. The inscriptions on the tomb say, Here lies Henry VII of that name, formerly King of England, son of Edmund, Earl of Richmond. He was created king on August 22nd, and immediately afterwards, on October 30th, he was crowned at Westminster in the year of our Lord, 1485. He died subsequently on April 21st, in the 53rd year of his age. He reigned 23 years and 8 months, less one day. Around the edge of the tomb, it's also written, here is situated Henry VII, the glory of all of the kings who lived in his time by reason of his intellect his riches, and the fame of his exploits, to which were added the gifts of bountiful nature, a distinguished brow, an august face, an heroic statue. Joined to him, his sweet wife was very pretty, chaste, and fruitful. 
they were parents happy in their offspring to whom land of England you owe Henry VIII. Speaking of Henry VIII, Henry VIII was buried in February of 1547 in St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. Henry had died 20 days before at Whitehall Palace. During the week before his internment, his body had been moved to Windsor via the former Abbey Church at Sion Park. The name for the vehicle that we call a hearse today was actually called a chariot in the 16th century. Henry's chariot had many wheels. It was a wagon that was covered with black velvet. There were were his banners. There were eight horses. And those horses were ridden by eight children. And apparently the lead that was used to encase Henry's embalmed corpse weighed more than half a ton by itself. So the whole thing would have been incredibly heavy. The roads had to be widened and repaved just to bear the weight of the hearse or chariot. The chariot carried his coffin on the top and then there was his effigy. The effigy was carved from wood and wax. It was dressed in the robes, the very expensive robes he would have had. It also wore the imperial crown on its head. It was so very valuable that when the cortege stopped at Sion, it was placed under guard. And unfortunately, it has not survived to this day. There actually was something called a hearse. Of course, like I said, what we know as a hearse was not a hearse. That was the chariot. But there was something called a hearse. And that was this huge wax temporary canopy. And that was where the coffin and the effigy would rest while they were lying in state. So the Historic Royal Palace's blog has some really good information about these hearses. They were surrounded by thousands of burning candles. I'm really not sure how that would have worked being wax, but there you go. They were hung with black and gold fabrics, lots of ornamentation and sculptures. So they were really decorated to look like like almost like cathedrals with all of this ornamentation around them. Henry's funeral procession had three hearses. There was one in Whitehall Palace in the chapel. Then there was the second at Sion. And then the third which was the largest, it was about seven stories high above his burial vault in the choir of St. George's Chapel in Windsor. These hearses, like I said, were often described as being made of wax, and Henry's were wax. At Whitehall, the hearse was made from nearly a ton of wax. At Sion, 1.1 tons was used, and at Windsor, 1.8 tons of wax And while it was supported by timber as well, the wax really provided this kind of soft surface where artists and sculptors could make sculptures and ornamentation in a very short time. Um, Because, of course, working in stone, they wouldn't have had time to get that all done between the time of the death and the burial. So they used wax. It was just the soft surface. There aren't a lot of eyewitness descriptions of Henry's Hearses. They're, they're not very detailed at all. But there was an eyewitness account of Mary I's funeral 11 years later, and it says that the upper part of eight posts stood archangels of wax. All eight squares of the hearse, they were garnished with angels, mourners, and queens in the robes of estate, all made of wax. Of course, when news of Henry's death became public, Queen Catherine, Dowager Queen Catherine Parr, became a widow for the third time in her life. She would have worn all black. The court would have just gone into mourning. Huge amounts of black cloth were ordered for Lady Mary and Lady Elizabeth. 
as well as the Queen's ladies and Henry's household. Catherine would have watched the funeral proceedings from her private chapel above the choir. It's called the Queen's Closet in St. George's Chapel in Windsor. She watched as Henry was buried with his most beloved wife, the mother of the new King Edward VI, Jane Seymour. It's interesting to note that it was Bishop Gardner who officiated the Requiem Mass. Catherine Parr was not a fan of, of Stephen Gardner. And also, Henry, of course, broke from Rome. He died holding Archbishop Cranmer's hand, but he still wanted Gardner to perform the last Latin Mass in the old Catholic religion because he was really kind of covering all of his bases for his soul. Sadly, just a few years after his death, Edward, his son, died on July 6th, 1553 at Greenwich after a very long illness. There was, of course, all of the drama with his death, people keeping it secret while there was a plot to put Lady Jane Grey on the throne. Mary Tudor, Edward's sister, declared that she was queen. She got an army. She entered London. She gave you know, a fabulous speech, and she was proclaimed queen with no bloodshed on July 19th, while Jane Grey was still in the tower. Edward's body had been embalmed and sealed in a lead coffin while it was waiting for burial. But Mary had a predicament. She was a Catholic. She was also the new head of the Church of England, which was still legally run by the Book of Common Prayer. Also, Edward had been raised Protestant. Mary wasn't a fan of Protestants, so she was in a pickle. She wasn't sure what kind of service to have for him. In the eyes of the Catholic Church, Edward was a heretic. Also, if she buried him as a Catholic, the Protestants would have been really upset. So the, actually what happened was the imperial ambassador found a solution. Edward would be buried according to the Book of Common Prayer, but Mary didn't have to attend the service, and she could have her own memorial for her brother in the Catholic liturgy. So that made a really interesting funeral because there was the official one for Edward himself as he would have wanted it. And then Mary had her own going on with the Catholic rites. Edward's body was taken by barge to Whitehall the night before the funeral. He was transferred to Westminster Abbey. There was the traditional procession, a large gathering of choir boys, all kinds of people. Then members of his retinue followed dressed in black carrying banners with all of the emblems of his ancestry. Three heralds came next carrying his helmet and his crest and his shield and his sword and garter and armor. Behind them came his coffin. It was draped in blue velvet on a cloth of gold covered chariot pulled by seven horses. The horses were actually draped in black velvet all the way down to the ground. It must have been an amazing sight this blue velvet, cloth of gold, and then these black draped horses. There was also a canopy of blue velvet above the coffin that was carried. There was also a life-size effigy of Edward holding a scepter with a crown and the collar of the Order of the Garter and the garter ribbon on his leg. All around the coffin, there were flags and standards of the Tudors, the Seymours, and the Garter. Once his body was in the abbey, it was placed on a hearse. There were 72 yards of black velvet that draped around the hearse. Once the body was in the abbey, it was placed in the hearse, again, that temporary area to house the coffin, 
It was draped in 72 yards of black velvet, and the walls and the aisles of the abbey were completely covered in black cloth. Thomas Cranmer presided over the service using the Book of Common Prayer, and they also had a celebration of Holy Communion made in addition to the customary rites. Mary, though, the queen, had her own service of the dead be performed in Latin in her chapel. At the same time as Cranmer's service was going on, Stephen Gardner had a requiem mass in the Tower of London, and Mary was present for that service. Masses were said for two more days in the Tower. Henry VIII had had plans for a tomb of his, and there were ideas that maybe Edward would be buried next to Henry VIII at this tomb in St. George's Chapel that would be built. But the tomb was never finished, and Edward never got his own tomb. The altar where he was buried at the Lady Chapel in Westminster was destroyed by the Puritans in 1644. Five years later, in December of 1558, nearly a month after she had passed, Mary I was buried in Westminster Abbey. The Queen died in November at St. James's Palace. Her body was laid to rest there in the privy chamber under cloth of state before it was moved to Westminster. The procession began on December 10th, and the chief mourner was Margaret Douglas, the Countess of Lennox. The Queen's coffin had banners of English royal arms and was laid to rest in the Chapel Royal for three days before its final journey to Westminster. With the Countess, there were also her household servants, the heralds, the gentlemen mourners who walked under the banners of the white greyhound and falcon and the royal arms. On December the 13th, the procession continued walking towards the abbey, dressed all in black. Her coffin was draped in purple velvet with her effigy depicting her crowned holding the scepter and the orb. One description says at each corner of the funeral chariot, a herald on horseback bore a banner of the four English royal saints. After the chariot followed the chief mourner, Margaret Douglas, Countess of Lennox, and Mary's ladies-in-waiting, all in black robes, attending her in death as they had in life. At the door of the abbey, the procession was met by four bishops and an abbot who led the coffin inside, and it lay there overnight with over a hundred gentlemen and her guard keeping watch. Queen Elizabeth wanted for Mary to have a funeral that was worthy of her status. She was the queen. There was no expense spared. But you also can tell that they weren't that close. The Bishop of Winchester, John White, had prepared a poem, and it was called The Epitaph Upon the Death of Our Late Virtuous Queen Mary Deceased. And it talked about how great the queen's reign was. But Elizabeth was upset that there was no mention of her, the new queen. So it originally read how many noblemen restored, and other states also, well showed her princely liberal heart, which gave both friend and foe, as princely was her birth, so princely was her life. Constant courtesy, modest and mild, a chaste and chosen wife. O mirror of all womanhood, O queen of virtues pure, O constant Mary filled with grace, no age can thee obscure. And Elizabeth made him add, Mary now dead, Elizabeth lives, our just and lawful queen, in whom her sister's virtues rare abundantly are seen. Obey our queen as we are bound, pray God to her preserve and send her grace and lifelong and fruit and subjects truth to serve. White's sermon said very little about Mary's religious policies, 
which, of course, is how she would come to be remembered. He said she was a king's daughter, she was a king's sister, she was a king's wife, she was a queen, and by the same title, a king also. What she suffered in each of these degrees, and she came to the crown, I will not chronicle. Only this I say, howsoever it pleased God to will her patience to be exercised in the world, she had in all estates the fear of God in her heart. She had love, commendation, and admiration of all of the world. In this church she married herself to the realm, and in token of faith and fidelity did put a ring with a diamond on her finger, which I understand she never took off after during her life. She was never unmindful or uncareful of her promise to the realm. She used singular mercy towards the offenders. She used much pity and compassion towards the poor and oppressed. She used clemency amongst her nobles. She restored more noble houses decayed than ever did a prince of this realm. Or I did pray God shall ever have occasions to do after. I verily believe the poorest creature in all this city feared not God more than she did. She had wanted to be buried next to her mother, Catherine of Aragon, and have her mother's coffin be moved to Westminster, but those wishes sadly were not respected. After Elizabeth died in 1603, James I ordered a monument for Elizabeth. Elizabeth's coffin was placed on top of Mary's, and only her effigy was visible. And then, of course, we have Elizabeth, who died in 1603. People talked about how strange it was to hear the name King when James VI of Scotland was proclaimed King. It must have been such a shock. She had reigned for 44 years and four months, which was, as they noted at the time, a far greater part of a man's age. William Camden talked about her being ill from January that year, which was three months before she died. He became aware of weakness and indisposition to her health, and she actually had left Westminster in January traveling to Richmond to refresh herself. Sadly, she would not be refreshed. She just got worse, and she spent a lot of time just in prayer, speaking to the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Bishop of London. Camden talked about how she had swollen glands, that her appetite failed, and she fell into a deep melancholy and seemed much troubled by peculiar grief. By March, she had fallen into a heavy dullness. Her throat was dry and sore. She couldn't talk. She just spent all of her time praying. Her lords, of course, were begging her to name her successor, which finally she did, saying it was James VI. She died in her privy chambers at Richmond Palace. She died in the palace that her grandfather had built in 1501 in Richmond in the privy chambers. It was about 10 miles or so from Westminster. It was known as a nice, pleasant place where people could go to escape the city. Elizabeth had actually requested that she not be disemboweled, but after the queen died, Robert Cecil left orders with the surgeons to do so while he went to London to announce James VI was the new king of England. And so she was embalmed and her body transferred again to a lead wooden coffin. She lay in state at Richmond for several days and then she was moved to a barge brought downstream to the Palace of Whitehall. One eyewitness, Elizabeth Southall, describes the coffin draped in velvet, was watched every night, guarded over, and apparently the oars at every stroke did tears let fall. You might have heard the story that Henry VIII's body, his corpse, uh, started leaking fluids and kind of exploded from the gases that were with the lead. 
I don't know if you've ever heard that. And then apparently dogs had licked him. This supposedly happened at Scion. The dogs kind of licked up what had spilled out. And this was supposed to be some kind of prophecy being fulfilled that dogs would would eat at him. And it, it was supposedly a prophecy. Now, I don't know that that has actually happened. I can't find an accurate record of that. But that apparently did happen to Elizabeth. And Southall reports that there was a loud crack from the coffin as her body and head broke open from the pressures of gases that were released as the corpse rotted. And the force of the explosion splintered the wood and the lead in the the coffin. So it's just kind of ironic that people talk about this happening to Henry, and it actually did happen to Elizabeth. Over a month after her death, her body was moved in a procession down Whitehall to Westminster Abbey. There were hundreds of people who were part of the procession, average men and women, members of the household, ladies-in-waiting, knights, squires, gentry, and other nobility. And apparently there was such a general sighing, groaning, and weeping as the lake has not been seen or known in the memory of man. There are some contemporary drawings. Again, I'll put them on the, on the website, um, englandcast.com slash funerals. Let's do that, englandcast.com slash funerals. I will add to the website some of these contemporary images that show the effigy of her whole body dressed in her parliament robes. She had the crown and the scepter, and her coffin was covered in purple velvet, pulled by four horses draped in black, with a canopy over the whole thing, noblemen carrying 12 banners, six on either side of the coffin. Her body was initially put in the vault with Henry VII and her grandmother, Elizabeth of York. But in 1607, she was moved, as I said, to the same place as Mary I. So there we have it, five funerals for five Tudor monarchs. Remember to check out the website, englandcast.com funerals for notes and sources. There's some great blog articles out there. I will add them all here on the website. And also you can go to englandcast.com tutorcon to find out more about how you can participate participate in TudorCon 2023. All right. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. I will talk with you again soon. <laughs> Bye. Blow northern wind, send for baby sweating. Blow northern wind. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.